Once upon a time, there was a couple named Steve and Melissa. They started dating, and about six months after they began dating, they decided to become engaged. And at that point, Melissa wanted to have a conversation with Steve that was going to be a game changer. It was going to be a, one of those conversations that would either move them closer toward marriage or it was going to be a conversation that would move them away. And there was no taking back the conversation once they had the conversation. So they had it. At some point before their wedding, um, Steve found out that Melissa was the granddaughter of one of the wealthier families in America. I mean, he'd never known this before. Nothing in their dating experience had even hinted at. I mean, they'd been doing movies in Dairy Queen, you know? But then they had the conversation. Steve was about to marry in to a moneyed family. And so after their engagement was announced, uh, Steve had what he would call a series of rapid fire meetings, seminars, appointments, discussions, all of which were provided for by Melissa's family and all of which were meant to orient him uh, regarding the, shall we say, new normal that he was about to experience. And this process, by the way, is called onboarding. Onboarding. The purpose of onboarding uh, is to provide newcomers and future in-laws, educating them into this new reality that they are about to experience regarding family wealth. So onboarding education includes curriculum about money and its effects, and uh, there's advice, and there's counsel about how to live your life, how to conduct yourself, how to speak to people, how to treat people. Uh, In some moneyed families, they have a welcome packet for those who marry into the family, and that welcome packet talks about the family history and the family heritage. And in fact, there's even a sense of, well, just downright expectation of giving back, uh, whether that means through charitable foundations or community service. In some families, it's almost like entering a, a, a huge firm where there are different departments and of human resources sector. Here's a sector of our family business that you could be a part of. I mean, it's really interesting, this concept of onboarding. It's kind of like uh, they're saying, now that you're going to be a part of our family, Now that you're a part of our family, here's our story. Here's our story. Here's how we do business. Here's how we act. Here's how we think about money. Here's how we treat people. Here's how we behave. Here's how we do what we do. Uh, And here are our photos, and here's our history, and we welcome you. Now then, here's wisdom and advice to help you on our journey together so that our family together may thrive. May thrive. And I'm just wondering here if anybody had any, has had any experience in onboarding when you got married. Yeah, neither did Sarah. I know. <laughs> you know? Rats. Right? Or did we? Or did we? Huh? 
Steve guy did nothing financially to contribute to joining this, you know, Mount Everest-sized wealth he was entering. Nothing to contribute. Why was he a part of the family? He became a part of the family solely because of the love of someone in the family. And why are we in the family of God? Because of what we've done? Because of our merit? (laughs) Because of our achievement? Or is it because of the love of someone else who in his sacrificial love brought us in to a family that is by far wealthier than any family this country could ever produce or this world could ever produce. You see? See what I'm getting at here? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, you have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. In Christ, God has adopted you. God has chosen you. God has predestined you. God has redeemed you. God has lavished his mercy upon you. God has forgiven you of your sins by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God has given you his Holy Spirit who is the seal that is the assurance that we belong to him. God's Spirit lives in our lives to assure us you belong to God. You belong to God. You are in the family because of the love of our elder brother, Jesus Christ. Oh, yes. Yes. We belong to God's family. Now then, based on that, God says, I want to give you some curriculum that will onboard you. Now that you have been adopted and justified and forgiven, I want to give you some curriculum that will help you live in a manner that reflects your participation in the family of God. And church family, that is the book of Proverbs. That's the book of Proverbs, along with the other books in the Bible. But we're here today in a series of messages through the book of Proverbs. It's a curriculum. Here's how God wants his people to live. And and I go through all of this onboarding to make sure that we get absolutely clear on our minds that when we study these themes and topics in the book of Proverbs, it's very easy to to um, it's very easy to kind of you know preach moralistic sermons, right? If you do this, and if you do this, and if you do this, then God will love you. If you do this, God will love you. And friends. There is no gospel in that message. There isn't. If you do this, God will love you. That's not what Christianity is. Here is what Christianity is all about. God loves you. God rescued you. God brought you into his kingdom. Because God loves me, I can obey. I can serve him. I can follow him. Do you hear the difference? There's a world of difference, a universe of difference between if I obey, God will love me versus because God loves me, I can obey. Does that make sense? Amen. So with that in mind, we look to the book of Proverbs as our onboarding curriculum so that we might be schooled in the spiritual skill of wisdom. 
the spiritual skill of wisdom. Proverbs makes it absolutely clear that wisdom is not about your academic intelligence. Wisdom is not about your intelligence quotient, rather. Wisdom is a spiritual skill. Wisdom is the spiritual skill of knowing what to do in light of how life works. The spiritual skill of knowing what to do, not just knowing, but the doing. Wisdom, the spiritual skill of wisdom says, I know how this world works. I understand how this world works. This is the way the world works. And now, here's how God wants me to live. Here's what he wants me to do in light of how life works in this world. That's a spiritual skill. And because it's a spiritual skill, to gain this skill, you must first ask God. You must come before him and you must say, Lord, I need wisdom. Would you please help me? James chapter 1 tells us this in no uncertain terms. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given. The only condition is you must ask in faith. And so when we look at the book of Proverbs, uh, one of the cornerstone verses regarding wisdom is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your He will make straight your paths. There it is. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, in all your ways. There's no wiggle room with that, is there? It's not just your Sunday ways. It's all of your ways. Your relationship ways, your marriage ways, your dating ways, your work ways, your vocational ways, your academic ways. Your recreational ways, in all of your ways, acknowledge Him. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. If you want divine direction in your life, if you want divine direction in your life, often we think, you know, I just, what I need is just more information. That's what I need. That's not what you need. It's not. Really, it's not. Um, anybody got their cell phone with them? Yeah, put it up here. Yeah, Sarah, thank you. Okay. All right, I'm not going to judge you. This is not a setup, okay? All right, here. You, you know what? You've got a library of information in this thing, don't you? I mean, you've got a whole library in this thing. We don't need more information. You want divine direction in your life? You don't need more information. You know what you need? You need that dreaded S word that Americans absolutely hate. Submission. Americans hate the word submission, but that's exactly what you need from God's perspective Which is why when we say trust in the Lord with all your heart, that doesn't mean, God, tell me what you want from my life. I'll evaluate it and then make my decision. That's not wisdom. What wisdom is, is God, I love that song Katie led, whatever comes my way, I will trust in you. I'm going to do whatever it is you want me to do, Lord, no matter what, because you are the creator. I submit to you in all of your ways. Now, this morning, we're going to be looking at God's wisdom regarding our money ways, the money ways. And let me just say this. Some of you, for what you're going to about to hear, your heads are going to be nodding. I don't mean nodding off, I hope. I hope just nodding. In other words, yes, this is affirming. Yes, this is true. Yes, this is what's, yes, I found this to be true. Some of you are going to be 
what you're about to hear is going to be affirming in this way. For others of you, you're going to be challenged and pushed and maybe even poked and prodded and shoved. Good. Good. Because we're going to hear wisdom about our money ways. So I just want to, let's look at some sampling verses on money from the book of Proverbs. Uh, First, beginning in Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Now what does that that say? It says this. It says you can waste a lot of money if you don't plan ahead wisely. That's what it says. So I mean, you, you listen, people never spend money in an emotionally neutral environment. I'll say that again. You never spend money in an emotionally neutral environment. So you better plan ahead. Do you have a plan? Is it a wise plan? Are you working that plan? Proverbs 25 gives us wisdom on that. Let's look at another verse. Proverbs 19.4. Proverbs 19.4. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. What does that mean? That means that wealth tends to attract Friends that you didn't know you had. So if you're influential or you're successful or you're wealthy, don't assume that people just love you for you. All right? Be wise. And then here's another one. This is a very interesting verse. Proverbs 17, verse 18. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. What is that? That's interesting. We call this co-signing on notes, and Proverbs says, that's not wise. Co-signing is not wise. Proverbs calls this putting up security for another. That is, one person pledges to pay someone else's debt if there's a default. Okay. Now then, is it immoral? Is it unethical to co-sign? No, that's not what that says. It's just not smart. It's just not smart. It's not wise. Be wise. Be wise. And, oh, and then there's Proverbs 23, verse 4. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. So, so the message there is, know your limits. There's a time to stop working. There's a time to say, enough. And why? Well, Proverbs 23, verse 5, the very next verse tells us why. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. So why would you kill yourself trying to get something that could be gone like that? All right? Well, those are just a sampling of some verses. And what we see when we study the book of Proverbs is that you cannot take one verse from the book of Proverbs and then say that that verse says all there is to say about money. You just can't do that. Um, But here's what we can do. We can take all of the verses uh, on money in Proverbs and we can come up with a big idea that'll serve as kind of an umbrella for all the verses in Proverbs on money. And here's the big idea. This is what I want you to get if you don't get anything else. Here it is. You ready? Money is a blessing. Money is a danger. Wisdom knows the difference. I'll say it again. Money is a blessing. Money is a danger. Wisdom knows the difference. 
So money is a blessing. Oh, money is a blessing. Money is a window to the goodness of God. Money is a means of responding to people in need. Money can connect us to the work of a larger kingdom, a larger family. Money reveals our faith in that family. Money reveals your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is a God and that this world is not all there is. Money can do that. And that's so positive. Much of what we see in the book of Proverbs is very positive regarding money. And why? Because it's a blessing. Money is a blessing. Money is a blessing and money is a danger. Money can cause what one author calls eternity amnesia. Money can cause you to forget God. Money can change the way you think about yourself. It can make you turn inward. It can make you selfish. And money can make you change the way you think about others. And money can weaken your resolve to fight temptation because now you can afford certain acts of disobedience. Money is a blessing. Money is a danger. Wisdom knows the difference. Hmm. Now, in the remainder of our time here, uh, I would like to just rehearse some onboarding stories. Three onboarding stories about how God wants us to manage the money that He has put into our lives. Onboarding story number one is this. Here it is. There was once a ranch with woolly sheep and little girls. It's a great story. You'll find it in Proverbs 27, verses 23 to 27. That's on page 549 of your church Bibles. This story of a ranch with woolly sheep and little girls. Proverbs 27, verses 23 to 27. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations? When the grass is gone, and the new growth appears, and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing, and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household, and maintenance for your girls. This is the story of a ranch. And this ranch has sheep and livestock. It's been passed down from generation to generation. And at a certain season of the year, there's a harvest of hay. And the sheep eat the hay. And because the sheep and the goats eat the hay, why, you know, they, get, they grow woolly and bushy. And then there comes a time when the sheep need to be sheared. And the wool is made into clothing. And the clothing clothes your family. And there's food for the table and for your daughters. And in the story, due to the diligence and the consistency of families throughout the generations, God has blessed this household, blessed this family with a treasure. There's a family treasure, a family inheritance, a crown, a diadem. There's operating capital. There's a kind, of a, a, a kind of a sovereign wealth fund, a trust fund. That's what verse 24 is about. Riches and crown. That's those words. And the proverb tells us, even if you have a trust fund, or even if you have whatever kind of inheritance that may come your way, you need day-to-day work because if not, that surplus is going to one day run dry. And no treasure lasts forever, it says. 
Diadem doesn't last forever and ever. So you hear what's going on here? God has given us kind of a quasi-royal responsibility for a little bit of this earth. And why? Here's why. Money is a blessing. Money is a blessing. You know, way back beginning in Genesis, work and possessions God says these are good. Creation is good. The material world is good. And this is so different from the way the ancient pagan religions of the world had their creation accounts. Their creation accounts asserted that this world came about by warring deities. But Judeo-Christianity is unique in that it asserts that the created world that we have has emerged from God's good hand. It's good, and we, men and women, have been given the responsibility to rule over creation as image bearers of the Almighty. So based on that, here's the question. What has been entrusted to your care? Everyone in this room, we've inherited flocks of some sort Some of our flocks are larger than others of us. Some of us have more acreage to tend to. Some of our ranches, they're different, but everyone has something. Do you know the condition of your flocks? Do you? Do you know how many are in your flocks? Are they healthy? And, And are they where they need to be right now? And of course, you know this applies to money. I'm, I'm making a money connection here, meaning, you know, specifically, do you know what's in your bank account? I mean, do you know that? Do you know what's in your retirement account? Do you, do you understand what's in there right now? Could you, could you, what about your savings account? What about your emergency fund? Do you, what's in your emergency fund right now? More on that later. Are you tracking these things? No, well, Know well the condition of your flocks. And of course, there's other capital that we could consider here than just financial capital. What about like, some of us here are students, so let's talk about academic capital. Okay? Do you know what your academic or intellectual skills are leading you in terms of a vocation? Huh? If so, wonderful. Do you know your grades like right now? If not, why not? Find out. Do you know the condition of your flocks? What about the gifts and talents and skills and abilities that God has entrusted to you? That you can develop that have come straight from the Lord. What are you going to do with what you got? What are you going to do? Do you have a growth plan? Have you set aside time to grow? Have you identified areas of growth? How do you plan to strengthen your strengths? How do you plan to do that? And who is going to help you? What books? What peers? What courses? And then, and then, how do you plan to share what you've learned? Some of you are maybe in a season of life where you're saying, well, I've been to school, and I've taken classes, and I've gotten credentialed. Okay, that's fine. Great. Who are you going to mentor? Who are you going to pass along? Because here's the deal. The teacher always learns most. Know well the condition that you say, Randy, what does that have to do with money? Everything, because money is just you know, an external thing of what's going on inside your heart. And what I've learned, 
church family is that flocks don't tend themselves. They have to be managed. And they're your flocks. They're your responsibility. Your teacher can't study for you. Your doctor can't get healthy for you. Your fitness center can't lift the barbell for you. Your pastor can't read your Bible for you. It's your responsibility. They're your flocks, and they've been entrusted to your care by a loving God. Why? Because it's a blessing. Money is a blessing. Wisdom knows this, and wisdom takes action. That's story number one. Well, story number two goes like this. Here it is. It's good. There was once a strong city. Isn't that wonderful? That's, that, there it is. Is there anything else? No, that's it. There was once a strong city. That's what we see in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 15. Proverbs chapter 10, 15 says this. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Is that a, is it, so is this good or bad? No, this is good. <laughs> this is good. Here's what this means. Just as a strong city can keep invaders out, so too wealth can keep problems at bay. Just as a strong city can keep the invaders out, so too wealth can keep problems at bay. So, let's say you need a new set of tires, okay? And if you need a new set of tires, you're going to need your front end aligned. So you need new tires, and you need a front end alignment. Or let's say you need your furnace fixed. Or let's say your pipes freeze and then burst. Let's say your sump pump goes out. In a series of spring thunderstorms. And then you get water in your basement. Now what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, if you have money, you can get these things fixed. It is no problem. Really. If you don't have money, it's not pretty. It's not good. So what does wisdom tell us to do in light of how life works? Well, once a year, our church offers a course called Financial Peace University. Financial Peace University. Okay? How many of you have taken that course? Great. What's step number one? Anybody know? Emergency fund. That's right. It's an emergency fund. How much in that fund? Thousand dollars. There it is. Thousand dollars in an emergency fund. Okay? You need an emergency fund. And that way, if any of these things happen, you're prepared. You and you can pay for it with your debit card instead of your credit card. Okay? And you're ready. And and I can hear the pushback. How can I ever save a thousand dollars? Can you save five hundred dollars? Then start with $500. Well, how can I ever save $250? Okay? Just start there. All right? You can save $250. Okay? 
You can. Because here's the deal. The storms are going to come. The furnace is going to need fixed. Tires are going to need replaced and aligned. Are you ready? Are you ready? If you're ready, you can have peace. And when you're ready, that's like living in a strong city. And strong cities are good. Strong cities are a blessing. And when you live in a strong city, you are better prepared to help others, you see. Money is a blessing. Wisdom knows this. Wisdom knows this. Money is a blessing, and money is a danger. Let's kind of talk a little bit about that. That that shows up in another proverb with the same image of secure cities. It's Proverbs 18, 10, and 11. It says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. So, what does that say? That says there was once a strong city with a tower, and his name is the Lord. And that resident was very secure. And why? Because that resident figured out that only God can give security and significance and identity and worth. But the guy in verse 11 had other thoughts. He thought that his money was his security and his identity and his worth. And it was all in his imagination. Do you see that? So the question is this. What are you looking for in terms of your security, in terms of your significance, in terms of your worth? Where are you running for in terms of your shelter, in terms of your comfort, in terms of your refuge? Where? One way to determine this would be to complete the following sentence. Here it is. I would be happy if only I had, and then you fill in the blank. I would be happy if only I had. And friend, whatever is on the other side of your, if only I had, That's your God. That's your God. You see, whether we know it or not, every human being lives in search of a Savior. We're all propelled. We're all propelled. We're wired to have this quest for identity and inner peace and some kind of meaning and purpose. God made us that way. That is good. We will all look for it somewhere, but here's the bottom line. When we look to creation... To get what only the Creator can give, we'll wind up with an addiction of some kind. When we look to creation to get what only the Creator can give, we will, we will end up with an addiction of some kind. So, so the thing that you hoped would, would serve you pulls you into its service. The thing you thought would give you freedom ends up enslaving you. And the thing is not the problem. The job is not the problem. The home is not the problem. That's not not the problem. The problem is what you've asked of it. Because money is an excellent tool and a lousy God. Paul David Tripp said, if you look outside of the Savior for something to be your Savior that thing will end up not being your Savior, but your Master. But if the Creator is yours, if Jesus is yours, then you're full. You're satisfied. 
no matter how much money you have or how little money you have. Um, that's why I like what, what one preacher said centuries ago. It's a great, great quote. What doesn't he possess who possesses the possessor of all things? What doesn't he possess who possesses the possessor of all things? Money's a blessing. Money is a danger. Wisdom knows the difference. That's story number two. Story number three. Story number three is this. There was once a gradual gatherer. There was once a gradual gatherer. That's Proverbs 13, verse 11. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Isn't it interesting? You know, that even in the days of Proverbs, I mean, this is, this is thousands of years old. Isn't it interesting that even in the days of Proverbs, people were afflicted with a disease called the next big thing-itis? Right? This futile chasing after the latest and newest and trendiest get-rich-quick scheme, this, this lifetime of hurried, high-stakes, high-risk pursuits in which I jot from venture to venture, trying to hit it big. And the, the problem is not that it succeeds. The problem that, well, it, it does succeed every now and then. The, the problem is that it exceeds enough to delude others into thinking that they're the exception. See, Carl Richards is a financial guy, and he writes for the New York Times every now and then. Listen to what he wrote. He said, on average... 90% of lottery winners go through their winnings in five years or less. Now think about that for just a minute. Nine out of ten times, 90% of lottery winners go through their winnings in five years or less. And then, <laughs> Carl Richards says this, and your biggest temptation is in thinking that you're different from everybody else. See? All, those, all, all those other lottery winners, well, they were foolish. Not me, Carl says, keep telling yourself that. Proverbs shows us a better way, a godlier way. The way that comes little by little. Wealth comes little by little. Little by little. And do you know why? Because God wants to build your character little by little. He wants to build your integrity little by little. He's preparing you for eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. And in God's eyes, building your character to him is more important than building your portfolio. So Proverbs 12:11 says, "Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense." Proverbs 12:11. Some of your translations identify worthless pursuits. I love that translation that says, "Chases fantasies." Chases fantasies. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who chases fantasies lacks sense. I mean, it takes day by day discipline, little by little discipline to work the land. It takes little by little discipline to, to get up and plow one furrow one day and then get up the next day and come on back. And little by little, 
back and forth, little by little, doggedly, little by little, ruggedly, little by little, faithfully. It takes day-by-day discipline to chip away at that degree, class by class, exam by exam, paper by paper, associates, bachelors, masters, doctorate, day-by-day discipline to be an apprentice in the trades. You have to humbly work through the ranks. You've got to pay your dues. But slowly, gradually, little by little, you're able to work, you're able to earn, you're able to provide, you're able to save, and then you're able to share. See, You're able to share and give. And that's when God is really glorified, when all of the day by day builds a man of God, a woman of God, a family of God that reflects His beauty and love. Anybody here ever heard of Albert Lexi? Albert Lexi, what a story. So twice a week for over 30 years, Albert Lexi would get up and take the 6 a.m. bus to Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh to fulfill his vocation. His vocation? Shining shoes. That's it. He's a shoe shiner by trade. Charged five bucks a pair. Once your shoes shine, Albert will do it. Five bucks. That's how he made his living. Five bucks at a time. Little by little. His customers would often give Albert a tip. And Albert gave every one of those tips to Children's Hospital. Little by little. Little by little he gathered Little by little, he gave. And when Albert retired last year, Albert, who had a high school diploma, and it was an honorary high school diploma given to him in 1999, this same Albert Lexi had given over $200,000 to the free care fund of the Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh. $200,000. That represented over a third of his lifetime earnings. Don't tell me that you can't have an emergency fund. Little by little. Little by little, working the land. Little by little, shining shoes. Little by little, gathering one handful at a time. Giving one handful at a time. One day at a time for the glory of God. I want His faith. Money's a blessing. And money is a danger. And wisdom knows the difference. Listen to Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Proverbs 37 through 9. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. And then here it is. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. 
Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. This is, that's the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. That's the, only, that's the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. God, don't make me too rich or I might forget you. Don't make me too poor or else I might profane you. Just give me today's daily bread. Help me live in constant dependence upon you and do as much good with the money that you have put into my life. Help me to know the condition of the flocks that you've entrusted into my care. Help me to ever enjoy the security of the city while at the same time never view it as a status symbol and help me to do this little by little, day by day, walking in wisdom so that I might make much of you as a part of your family. Money is a blessing. Money is a danger. Wisdom knows the difference. Amen? Oh, I've got one more story I want to share with you. Okay. It's the best story. There was once a king who lived in splendor on high, who was rich beyond all imagination. And he had seen the world which he had created, a world that became broken because of that world's rebellious insurrection against him. But this king loved this world so much. He came himself to repair this world. He entered it not robed in splendor, but clothed in commonness. He who was rich became poor for our sake so that we might be rich with him forever. He lost so that we could gain. And that is his wisdom. In its true wisdom, it works. And furthermore, church family, it is not a story. It's reality. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your Son 